Hi, this is Morgan. Welcome to If These Walls Could Talk. This podcast is dedicated to supporting mural art in the San Francisco Bay Area. We will delve into best practices for professional mural artists so that we can figure out how to spend the best hours of our days getting paid to paint and hone our craft so that more truly remarkable mural art can get made. Together, we can make the world a more beautiful place, one wall at a time. This is my third season of doing this podcast, and I'm going to start off by sharing my book, The Mural Artist's Handbook, by reading it to you. That's right, a little story time while you drive to your next mural project. I also have interviews lined up with mural artists that are super inspiring to me right now, and I'm excited to introduce them to you in future episodes. Without further delay, I present to you The Mural Artist's Handbook. Chapter 1. A New Era for Mural Art Mural art has traditionally sustained a circumspect reputation, far outside the boundaries of the art establishment. Twenty years ago, the word mural brought to mind grapevine stencils in kitchens, elementary school class projects, and amateur political images painted in alleyways. Most communities have struggled to create cohesive policies or plans for integrating mural art into public spaces, resulting in murals which can sometimes swing wildly between amateur efforts and pseudo-advertising for commercial interests. Today, murals are experiencing a renaissance. The most recent evolution is rooted in the trifecta of increasing grassroots political activism photo sharing on social media, and the redefining of community space through intentional placemaking. Instagram and the corollary demand for the perfect selfie moment is driving mural design. We want our personal spaces to reflect who we are and how we want to feel. The handmade one-of-a-kindness inherent to mural art defies commodification. It is more akin to a site-specific event than a product. The sudden enthusiasm for the art form has resulted in more public attention to the medium, more walls being offered up, and more money invested in mural art, resulting in more professional artists being drawn into the art form. A quick scroll through at Top Street Art on Instagram is both humbling and mind-blowing. A dozen years ago, mural art was definitely not a hot commodity. Trader Joe's and Fry's Electronics were the best gigs a mural artist could hope for, and it was kitschy work at that. Today, it seems everyone wants a mural. Truly exceptional large-scale works of art are being created worldwide on a daily basis for top brands and companies, as well as big city projects. The image that pops into someone else's head when you say the word mural is changing for the better. Mural art is finally having its moment, and it's well-deserved. Mural art has a lot of things going for it. It's inexpensive, 
relative to other beautification and capital improvement projects. It's eco-friendly. Non-toxic materials can be used, and there's no, quote, thing to ship or send to a landfill at the end of its life cycle, as it's all made, handmade, on-site. Cities are discovering that mural art deters unwanted tagging. Most importantly, mural art can influence whether an environment is perceived as neglected or welcoming, and cue behaviors that correlate with feeling safe, like walking slower and taking in the environment, making eye contact, or smiling at strangers. By bringing high-caliber art into our public spaces, outside of paid venues and glass doors, art becomes knit into the fabric of everyday life. Creatively imagined spaces invite the broader community into an experience with art, changing culture, igniting us to imagine new possibilities for ourselves and our world. Public murals tell a story about a particular place, who lives there, what they care about, and also what is possible, activating shared imagination and civic pride. Public art is answering the question, who are we and where do we want to go? And also, how can our public spaces become more vital, more inviting, and more relevant to the people who live in our community? Our increasingly urbanized lives have resulted in an overabundance of walls, essentially hordes of blank canvases ripe for artistic reinvention. The windowless, oppressive walls of cheaply constructed multi-story buildings of the 60s and 70s, as well as the neighborhood side of freeway, wa freeway walls, are ideal canvases for mural art. In schools, the utilitarian physical structures reflect the didactic institutional approach towards education that was embraced, embraced by prior generations, and they're now ripe for transformation. Mural art not only introduces color to a typically beige school campus, but also aligns the built environment with updated educational pedagogy that embraces social-emotional learning and psychological safety. Interior design is embracing holistically integrated, calming spaces. The boundless, frameless, wabi-sabi nature of a hand-painted mural dovetails perfectly with this trend in residential interiors. While it is an exciting time to be both a mural artist and a mural art advocate, mural art is still a little bit in the Wild West phase. Mural contests and festivals are transforming the facades of communities, sometimes for the better and sometimes not, as typically the artists are paid very little, if anything, at all. City commissioners wanting to join the mural bandwagon underwrite projects without a clear sense of how the artwork will tie into their vision for the city or what an adequate budget or artist selection process might be. Meanwhile, most of our schools still look like prisons from the outside, and the cost-effective beautification of mural art remains underutilized by school districts whose interests lean towards efficiency 
and minimizing legal exposure over taking creative risks. In this handbook, I share what I've learned working on over 500 mural projects, including residential, school, commercial, and public projects, each one with its own unique requirements, challenges, and metrics for success. I begin with my own story and best practices for painting a mural. In chapters four through six, I address considerations specific to the clients who are most likely to commission you for a mural. In chapters seven and eight, I share the inside workings of what, for me, has been a fun and profitable small business. My hope is to empower you to make the desired impact with your art by making it a sustainable endeavor, creatively and financially, over the long haul. Yes, the mural art world is still its own wild west. However, by pointing out pitfalls, as well as helpful protocols common to the collaborative mural creation process, my hope is that more great mural art can be made. By sharing the opportunities and risks inherent in a variety of projects I have encountered, I hope to help you navigate this Wild West successfully so that you can make your own unique contribution to the art form. An infinite number of blank walls lie dormant, ready for your creativity to bring them to life. What are you waiting for? Let's get started. Chapter 2. Switching Gears in Life One summer evening in 1999, I was speeding down the highway, headed home after a long day at the office. I worked as an information technology manager, keeping the software, servers, and computers of a startup biotech company running smoothly. On this particular day, I had managed to slip out of work, quote, early, around 5 p.m. I was anxious to get home so I could start, quote, enjoying my day. The irony is no longer lost on me. Racing home that day, I came upon a rattletrap station wagon with a ladder strapped on top, going about 55 miles an hour in the middle lane. I switched lanes to get around the impedance, but a sideways glance to see who would dare drive at such a pokey pace gave me pause. The windows were rolled down, the longish hair of a middle-aged guy blowing in the wind. He looked so relaxed. At that moment, I had one clear thought. I want that. Not in the literal sense of that car or that human or even that hairdo, but that vibe in general. I read the sign painted on the side of his wagon, Mural Magic Guy. Huh, that's a funny thing to do for work. Over the course of the next few years, I moved myself into the slow lane. I quit my job and started walking at the beach near my house daily. I adopted a puppy. As I paid more attention to what made me happy, I discovered that I loved working with my hands, specifically 
on home improvement projects. I started spending my weekends working on one beautification project after the next. Scraping popcorn off the ceilings, laying mosaic patterns over linoleum countertops, plastering and painting. I loved losing myself in the creative process of the labor and slowly transforming my junker condo into a place that I loved to live in. At some point, probably inspired by Mural Magic Guy, I painted a floor-to-ceiling mural on the wall of a windowless stairwell in my condo. Once I finished that, I started sipping my morning coffee on the top stair, marveling at how the mural had transformed a dark and neglected pass-through area into my favorite spot in the house. Fast forward three years. Painting commission murals had become my primary source of income. I had not magically transformed into the chilled out person I'd envisioned. Although shifting from a high stress job to painting nature scenes to peaceful music by myself was a welcome change for my nervous system. What I came to understand is that the look I saw in the car next to me wasn't relaxation as much as a satisfied fatigue after a workday that was both physically and creatively demanding. I was now spending my day engaged in work I relished. I didn't have to wait until I got home to start enjoying my day. And yes, I started driving a little bit slower on the freeway. I called up Mural Magic Guy from the phone book one day to thank him for inspiring me in my newfound career. He was grateful I called, but said while he had loved painting murals, he just wasn't making enough money doing it. He was currently looking for full-time employment in a previous line of work. I was crestfallen. It was like my own dream had met an unfortunate ending. Sadly, this scenario has repeated itself many times over during my 20-year mural career. I've met many talented mural artists who love the work but are unable to make it sustainable as a business in the long run. This outcome breaks my heart. I imagine a world full of blank walls in need of a creative hand and a diverse army of talented artists who love the work. I suffer from both extreme stubbornness and chronic idealism. I can't change my personality, but I can strategically direct my efforts. I took it upon myself to channel my stubborn idealism into figuring out financial sustainability for myself as an artist. Determination to make money was, ironically, an act of rebellion against the status quo the status quo for artists, at least. Is your art good enough? A common refrain I hear from artists interested in making money from their art is that they feel they are not yet, quote, good enough. They believe if their art was just a little bit better, their art business would magically take off. 
I did not go to art school, so I would be the last one to suggest that you should take another art class. Art classes provide accountability, camaraderie, and constructive feedback. However, the core of improving our skills as artists is simply time spent working on our craft. Is there a way you might be able to put in the hours needed to hone your creative voice without taking another painting class? One way to be accountable to your creative practice is to find clients who will pay you to paint for them. In this scenario, there are no class fees, your art is of service, and you earn money that can sustain your creative adventure. People who watch me paint sometimes assume I must have been artistically talented from birth. My earliest memory related to art is climbing into my mom's station wagon after kindergarten, sobbing over the painting I held in my hands. I felt ashamed because while the other kids in my class had figured out the mechanics of drawing a sun, a house, and stick figures, I could still only manage scribble-scrabble. Growing up, I loved theater, singing, and sports. I was not inclined towards spending my free time in seated activities, creative or not. The first time I picked up a paintbrush in earnest was when I was 26 years old, when I attempted my first mural. My first paintings were, no surprise, awful. However, in painting, I discovered something that tickled a part of my brain that had previously laid dormant, and I was captivated by the challenge. I learned by simply painting, mural after mural. My first two were in my house, and then two at my sister's house, then at my grandma's house, then a friend's house, and so on. Word of mouth slowly expanded the circle of individuals willing to pay me to paint their walls. Within a year, I was consistently finding paid work as a mural artist, despite my work being definitively amateur. Amateur art is not the goal. It's not, I'm proud of the fact I started out painting poorly, but it's a starting point. The goal is work that is both remarkable and demonstrates mastery of the craft. This is accomplished when the artist can spend the best hours of her days, most days of the week, year after year, working on her craft. The improvement in my skill as an artist over the past 20 years has been dramatic. Whether you went to art school or not, the most efficient way for you to develop your creative voice going forward is to spend the majority of your time elbows deep in making art. In this book, I propose that wherever you are on your path to mastery, you can find an audience and paid work commensurate with the skills you offer. I'm sure you know at least one incredibly talented artist who struggles to make a living from their art. Making a business out of your creative efforts Becoming an art professional requires appreciably different skills than making art privately. The skills you bring to your business are not limited to what you can do with a paintbrush. 
Previous work and life experience will give you a boost, whether that is strong communication and people skills, marketing, or technical skills. These can all be put to use to find clients who will pay you to paint. As you gain fluency in running your mural business, the busier you will be painting. The more you paint, the more your skill at both painting and project management improve. This positive feedback loop will cycle you up into a full schedule of creatively challenging projects with better clients and better pay. Why murals? For starters, it's what I know. I've never licensed my work on mugs or t-shirts, never started an Etsy store, or sold paintings through a gallery. The commission-based model for mural painting has worked well for me. I enjoy the variety and types of projects and subjects I get, get asked to paint. I don't need a big studio or storefront, and I don't have to share my profits with a gallery or a middleman. Most importantly, it's super fun. There's something both exhilarating and completely forgiving about painting a wall. It engages me both physically and creatively. When, it, when I attempted my first mural, I reasoned, this blank wall is just sitting there anyway. Something is better than nothing. Besides, I can always just paint over it if it doesn't turn out right. The trick was I set the bar so low that success came easily. The temporality of mural art, knowing you can't take it with you, that it lives outside the traditional sphere of the art world scrutiny, is liberating. I recommend starting out with residential murals because the stakes are the lowest. The artwork only needs to satisfy one person for one particular room and only for as long as it pleases them. On the other hand, a blank canvas sitting on an easel in my studio can feel inexplicably consequential, as if one could be unworthy of a fabric-wrapped wood frame. It also offers me no clues as to whom it is for, where it will live, or why it will matter. When you paint a mural on a wall, the clues for what to paint are offered by the immediate environment. When you paint a mural on a wall, the clue for what to paint are offered by the immediate environment. Who uses this space and how is it used? What does this space need for its function or aspirations? And how could I play with color and subject in a way that would support that purpose? How could I make the space more useful, engaging, or beautiful through paint? Emancipated from the confines of rectangular boundaries of a traditional canvas frame, where the floors, ceiling, and adjacent walls are all part of the creative conversation, the possibilities for impact expand exponentially. Mural artist, it's a real job. I love my job. I love the physicality of working big, the smell of paint as I mix up glossy potions of limitless color the flow that emerges when I let intuition lead, and the reactions. When I'm painting, I hear the word wow so often, if I were a dog, I might think it was my first name. Painting for other people is a delightful way to show up 
and be of service. There are a lot of ways to define success, especially as an artist. I have never won any art awards or had my work shown in a gallery. You won't see my artwork printed on the t-shirt of anyone famous. To me, success includes the oohs and ahs of a group of fourth graders rounding the corner to see the mural going up for the first time. Success is being able to match my work schedule to my kids' school schedule so I can be around for them. Success is tears of gratitude from a client who is touched by the transformation of a previously neglected space. Success for me is getting paid for a job well done, supporting my family with work I truly enjoy doing. What will success look like for you? Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of If These Walls Could Talk. If you enjoyed the content, please rate and review so that more artists and art advocates can find and enjoy this content. Until next time, happy painting. Happy painting.